converge. That's us. We, we, we are blessed to be part of this family of churches, and we're blessed this morning um, to have somebody with us who is the executive minister of uh, Converge Rocky Mountain. Um, he is my mentor. Um, he is a pastor of pastors. I, it says we start strong churches with strong leaders. Well, um, he makes leaders strong because I can't tell you how many times that I, and Christ is our leader, right? But um, <clears throat> I have been really weak and in the dirt. And he picks me up and dusts me off and speaks truth to me and encouragement. And he's going to do that for us today. Um, we also have Jan. Um, Jan is the reason that we hang around with Paul. Um, I will say one more thing before I introduce. Yes, he's wonderful. Um, but w- one more thing. Um, we are just so blessed and, and, and we, we want to, uh, to bless you as you bless us. And so um, please welcome uh, Pastor Paul Mitten. Good to be back here. Good morning. Jen and I love being at Bethany because I get to bring my diet Mountain Dew with me. It's much better than your diet Coke. Very good. No, I mean, Bethany really is one of the most uh, innovative, creative places. I'm taking pictures of all your your artwork out there and all the ways that you do things and your screens up here. I mean, it's unbelievable. You're blowing other churches. Don't tell them that. But I'm just saying, we go into a different church every Sunday. And really, you guys are just doing a great job. And and so it's a great pleasure to be here. And, And we love Pastor Tom and Cherie. And congratulations are in order. Stand up, stand up. Well, that was pathetic. My goodness. I've got my work cut out for me, but congratulations, both of you. Yeah, Pastor Tom is really one of our, our, our best communicators. I mean, we, we, he has spoken at some of our events, and pastors of megachurches go, where did you find this guy? And I said, he's in Gunnison. You're kidding me. I said, no. Uh, he's just a terrific communicator, and he speaks both truth and grace which is really what it's all about. So it's a blessing to be here. You just saw the new Converge video. You're not a standalone church all by yourself in Gunnison. You're part of a family, a network, a movement of churches that literally we're we're seeking to change the world. Um, that's, That's Converge National. Let me just tell you what's happening in Converge Rocky Mountain, our regional uh, grouping, because God's at work. Last Easter, we had about 23,000 people worshiping in Converge Rocky Mountain churches, which is pretty good when you consider just six years ago, we broke the 10,000 mark. So in six years, we've more than doubled the, the number of people that our churches are reaching. I can't wait to see what's going to happen this Easter, because you see, last Easter, we had hundreds of people accept Christ, and hundreds of people were baptized and continue to be baptized throughout the world, it's very, uh, throughout our, our area. So it's very exciting. We are on this initiative to add 100 more congregations by 2025. We started in 2015, so 100 in, in 10 years. And so we've been planting churches. We planted two new Filipino churches in the Denver metro area. We started a, a church in Canyon City with the McBrides. I think you're familiar with the McBrides, and they, they launched a church there. We, we have kind of a church that started up in urban Denver, a very cool setting. They have to actually put papers over the posters that are on this theater they meet in because it's, they need to censor stuff before people come to church. So, I mean, it's really cool, a really cool place. 
Um, we are also looking to add another Hispanic and Filipino church in the Salt Lake area. We're looking to start another church in Wyoming, another church in New Mexico. And so you are a part of a movement that is moving. It's exciting. And you're a big part of that. You see, you're Converge Rocky Mountain. It's not my thing. Uh, it, it's your thing. And I'm, I'm here to just have you celebrate what you're a part of. I get to coordinate your efforts, but it's all about you. It's about your prayer. It's about your financial investment. It's about your leadership that you bring to the table because together we're, we're stronger and together we're transforming lives and communities throughout the Rocky Mountains. So thanks for all that you do. Sometimes we're going to reach people around the world, but usually we reach people best that are in our neighborhood, in our communities, the people you rub shoulders with every day. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Just the blessings and the benefits of, of learning to live as a good neighbor. Our scripture is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 36. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Are you going to throw it up on the screen? Did you get that? Look at that. These guys are so good. Yeah. Luke 10, 25 through 36. Let me read it for us. Very familiar passage of scripture. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The lawyer answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we are so excited to be a part of your family. We're so excited that, that we can just be loved by you and know you in these deep ways that we just sang about. But we also know that you want to teach us truth not to, to confine us, not to, to beat us up, but so that we can know life in all of its fullness. And so we come to you this morning, and we want to open our ears and listen. Help me get out of the way, Lord, so that you can speak freely. Let your spirit flow. Personalize my words for everybody that's in this room today. We give you all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. You shut the lights off for prayers, do you? Yeah, just a mood, kind of a mood thing. Okay, good. All right, what a scene that must have been. 
In verse 25, an arrogant attorney decides he's going to debate Jesus, debate the, the king of the universe. Good luck with that. But he comes up to him and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you tell me. You're a smart guy. You've read the Bible. What do you think you need to do? And so the attorney says, well, we need to love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and strength and mind, and, and we love, need to love our neighbor as ourself. Good answer, says Jesus, because he's basically reflecting God's word back to God, and so you can't lose with that. But then he gets cocky and he pushes it a little bit. The attorney says, Rabbi, here's my problem. I can't quite grasp this concept of neighbor. Just exactly who is this neighbor I'm supposed to be loving? Are you speaking geographically? Wouldn't my neighbor be the person that lives next door to me? Or, or maybe the same zip code, the, the same school district? I just don't know. who. Or maybe you're speaking relationally. Wouldn't my neighbor be like immediate family? Or would it be a, a close friend, a personal acquaintance? I just don't know where to draw the neighbor line. It's, a, it's an incredible sociological concept that I don't understand. Who is my neighbor? You know, who's in and who's out? Who gets love? Who doesn't? But Jesus, I'll be sure to love them as soon as I figure out who they are. I just don't know who they are. Verse 29 tells us the attorney was trying to justify himself, to, to knowingly break God's law, but then to explain it away as if it wasn't real disobedience. And the strategy that he was using was to take a really simple teaching and make it so complex that it was impossible for him to, to understand and consequently impossible for him to follow. So I'm justified if I fail to love my neighbor. I just don't know who this neighbor is. So I plead ignorance. Well, we wouldn't want that, says Jesus. Who's your neighbor? Let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf for you so you can get at them. And then he rolls out this wonderful story. He says, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, about a 17-mile trip down a very twisty, turny road. Everybody knew the road that he was talking about. Perfect place for muggings, which is exactly what happened. A gang of robbers descends on this, on this traveler, beats him up, takes all his valuables, and then leaves him for dead on the side of the road. A little bit later, down the road comes a priest, probably a high-class priest, riding on a donkey. He sees this mess of a man over on the side of the road. But what should he do? I mean, he's, he's an expert in religion. He's a student of God's law, well aware of God's directives to offer mercy and compassion and love. But he's busy. And he's important. And he's got other... He can't stop for just anybody. So he heads to the other side of the road and down he goes. Maybe he says a prayer for him as he's, as he's leaving. Next up is a, is a Levite. He too is, he's a temple worker. He's a, an expert in God's law. But, but the problem is, the truth of God's word hasn't sunk into his heart yet. So consequently, all that he's learned, all that he knows, all that God has taught him, has little to no impact on how he actually lives his life. So he too heads to the other side of the street and avoids the mess and off he goes. I mean, just imagine that traveler. Just imagine if you were broken and beat up and you were hoping anybody would help you. And you see these two religious guys coming down the road. Surely they're going to be an answer to your prayer. Only to watch them just pass by and leave you in the dirt. But Jesus goes on. He says, now with a curveball for the attorney, he says, down the road comes a Samaritan. And surprisingly, it's the Samaritan that stops. 
Now, at this point, the lawyer is blown away. Because as much as priests and Levites were revered, Jews despised Samaritans. They were called half-breeds. They were the impure offspring of Jew and Gentile mixed marriages. And it's this low-down, dirty Samaritan that's now going to stop and help a Jewish guy. It's unbelievable. But God, uh, Jesus is clear. The broken traveler has broken the heart of the Samaritan. He saw the need. He, he moved in close to him. This wounded guy's history or ethnicity or likability, it didn't really matter at all. Somebody has to do something. And the Samaritan knows it's him. He's standing right next to him. So he takes action. His personal agenda for the day is scrapped. We don't know what he was up to. His donkey becomes an ambulance. He, he, he binds up the guy's wounds. He escorts him to an inn. He monitors his recovery during the evening. And then in the morning, essentially, he just flips his credit card to the innkeeper and says, you know, whatever this guy needs to get better, it's on me. I'll take care of him. The Samaritan had no relationship with the man. May never see him again. He could have been a, a, a drug dealing, whiskey chugging lowlife for all the Samaritan knew. But see, it didn't matter. All he knew was that there was a broken person that needed help. And he was going to be the one to help him. He rescued him. He rescued him. The story ends and Jesus probably waited a minute to let the gears turn a little bit. And then he said to the attorney, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And notice the genius of Jesus here. He's completely shifted the, the, the discussion. He says, which of these three was a neighbor to the victim? He changes neighbor from a noun to a verb. In Jesus' mind, in God's kingdom vocabulary, neighbor isn't a, a particular type of person. Neighbor describes an action that a Christ follower takes on behalf of someone else. The issue isn't who's my neighbor. The issue is whose neighbor are you? Who are you neighboring? The attorney couldn't even say Samaritan. It was too disgusting. But he did answer Jesus correctly. He said, of course it's the one who shows pity. The one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus wraps up their interaction this way. Then, then you go and do likewise. You go and neighbor someone. Which in the end is really the answer to the attorney's initial question of what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yes, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind. Just, just immerse yourself in a growing relationship with him. But you see the way you evidence that relationship, that transformed heart, that new life in Christ, the way you put flesh on it is by your willingness to be a neighbor to the needy, to the broken, to the spiritually lost that Jesus brings into your life just like Jesus did. And Jesus would challenge us with the same thing this morning. Yes, it's good to read your Bible and to grow deep in your love for God. Absolutely, that's where it all starts. But evidence that love in the way that you care for people, both inside and outside God's family. Neighbor, the needy. So, so how do we do that? How, how do we neighbor in our context today? We don't have donkeys we're carrying around to use as ambulances. And What do we do? Give a cup of sugar, Act like Mr. Rogers. Does anyone know? For you kids, Mr. Rogers used to have a little children's show, and he'd always be looking for neighbors, and I should have put a picture up. He's with the Lord now, but he was a good guy when, in his day. So how do we be a neighbor? Jesus, thankfully, gives us three actions in our passage, traits that the Holy Spirit wants to cultivate in the life of every Christ follower. 
so that we really can enjoy the joy of, of being a neighbor. First of all, a good neighbor intentionally travels on the needy side of the street. A good neighbor intentionally travels on the needy side of the street. And this is easier said than done. Why did the priest and the Levite cross the road? Boy, you're as slow as the first. I'm not saying, no. Why? To get to the other side, right? Where it wasn't so messy. They wanted to get away from the problem, so they crossed over. They crossed over for some of the same reasons that we do today. First of all, it's easier to walk on the safe side of the street. You see, if you have no intention of helping someone who's hurting or hungry or oppressed or spiritually lost, if you have no real real desire to help the hurting, then you kind of have to walk on the other side of the street. You've got to turn the channel when when the, the infomercial for the hungry kids comes on. You've got to look away when you see that cardboard sign by the stoplight. And No, that's, that's not, none of my problem. Because as soon as you give a face to suffering, as soon as you see the soul instead of the statistic, as soon as it gets personal, there's something inside every believer that says, somebody has to do something about this. Christ's love compels us. So, so if you don't want to get involved, don't get too close. Just insulate and isolate yourself in some kind of Christian bubble. It's just easier that way. But maybe they crossed over for other reasons. They were religious folks, had prayer meetings and Bible studies, and they really didn't have any time to neighbor. Maybe it was busyness that pushed them to the safe side. Maybe it was fear. Fear of getting hurt, fear of getting too involved and it'll take too much time, fear of being rejected. You ever wonder what somebody will do if you try to reach out and build a friendship with them? if you try to reach out and share Christ with them? Now, now sometimes healthy fear is warranted. If it's three in the morning and you're by yourself and there's a broken down car, and you, you, you be wise to wait for backup. You don't want to just enter into every situation without thinking it through. But many times, it's imagined, uh, unfounded fear. That's a big deterrent. Jan and I have a neighbor that, that we were, you know, they're a pretty rough neighbor. And and there's a little bit of fear. If we reach out, they're going to reject us. And we didn't, and they love us. And now they, we have some very messy Facebooks from them on, on Facebook that we have to keep censoring and cleaning up. But, but they wanted to enter into a relationship with us. But it took months to get over that fear to reach out and, and to embrace them. There was many, many, uh, many reasons that these highly respected guys went over to the other side. But in, in Jesus' eyes, in this situation, none of them were good reasons. But then you think about the Samaritan, the, the contrast of his life. He, he moved in close. There were no detours. There were no excuses. He could have made up some. He traveled at the right pace and in the right places so that he could see the needs that God wanted him to see. He traveled at the right pace, not too fast, and in the right places so that he could see the people that God wanted him to see. I think God's at work all the time, and he's working through us to touch people. We just need to be open to, to what God is showing us. The Samaritan wasn't blinded by his to-do list. Well, I got all these things, and there's a person over there, but I don't see him because, you know, I'm looking at my list. He, he, he wasn't, he, he, uh, the, for the Samaritan, people took priority. And that's the example that Jesus wants us to follow. Not, not just to see what we want to see, not to be so fast, so busy through life, we can't see other people. But we need to invite God to open our eyes every day to the physical and the emotional and spiritual distress around us. 
And when we really see it, we will be compelled to move in close. Lauren and Carrie Pancratz, they're a ministry couple we have. And they had a very cushy job out in Fresno, California at a megachurch. But God grabbed their hearts for the people of Utah. And so they left everything that they had. And they went to Centerville, Utah and started a church from scratch. You want to know a challenge? That's a challenge. But right in the middle of all that darkness and deception, they set up shop and just started to share God's truth and his light. And God is blessing. I, I spoke there. I'm going to speak there next week, as a matter of fact. And last time I spoke there, I, I was headed up the aisle after I was done. And a guy named Hayes Powell grabbed my shoulder and he pulled me in. And he said, hey, Paul, I just want to thank you and Converse for helping this church get started. Because my whole family, we were deep into the Mormon church. We were headed for hell. But because of this church, we've all found Christ and we're all headed for heaven. I'll never be able to thank you enough. And he's just one of the many that are making faith commitments through our new churches in Utah because we have other brave pioneers that are going in to start congregations that speak truth. And you see, that may have never happened if Lauren and Carrie said, ah, we're going we're gonna to keep our cushy job at the mega church." But they didn't. They moved in close and God is blessing their efforts. If you want to be a good neighbor, if you want to be a God neighbor, one of the questions you're going to need to come to grips with is, which side of the road are you going to live your life on? The safe side or the needy side? Will you live at a pace and in a place where you can make room for the broken folks that, that God shows to you? Maybe you start to see that, that co-worker of yours in the next cubicle over that doesn't know Christ. And God's been moving you to build a relationship with them. We start to see them and their desperate need for a savior. Maybe it's a widow that's, that's lonely that needs a friend. Maybe it's the kid in the dorm room that keeps cutting himself, just self-destructing because he's so messed up inside. Will you see the needy that God brings to you and stop to help? Or will you just cross over to the safe side and keep going on through life like nothing's happening? Christ calls us to be people that notice needs. And you see, once we notice those needs, to take action, which is the second characteristic of a good neighbor. A good neighbor expresses love through action. A good neighbor expresses love through action. Take a look at this Peanuts cartoon. Nice, huh? Wow. Does Pastor Tom give you cartoons in your messages? No, No, I'm just saying, you know. So anyway. (laughs) Um. In the first panel, you see Snoopy shivering there in the snow. And then Linus says, Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? They noticed a need. That's good. And then Charlie Brown responds in the next panel, I'll say he does. Maybe we'd better go over and comfort him, which they do. The third panel shows Linus and Charlie Brown in their warm winter coats and hats, standing over shivering Snoopy, saying, be of good cheer. Yes, be of good cheer. And then they walk away. And the last panel has Snoopy still shivering in the snow. Now with a big question mark over his head. Like, what was that all about? I didn't need your cheerleading. I needed you to go get me a parka. That's what I needed. And the point is, words are wonderful, but but many times real action is better. James 2.15 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs? What good is it? I mean, saying I'll pray for you is great. Moral support is wonderful, but often being a good neighbor calls us to put our faith into action, to roll up our sleeves and actually physically serve another person. 
You think about the Samaritan. He cleansed the traveler's wounds with oil and wine. He, he transported the victim to the inn. He monitored his recovery. He got involved in the life of this guy who was a stranger. Love in action. And I'm excited about how our Converge Rocky Mountain churches have taken this to heart and really put love into action in their neighborhoods to reach out to the needs of their, of their area. Last year, there was a, a shooting in Bailey, Colorado. About this same time, a deputy was killed. And I was in San Diego when I heard about it at some meetings, and, and um, I found out about it. It was a brand-new pastor, his first church ever. Came from Dallas, Texas, so he was getting used to mountain culture. And I thought, he could be in trouble. So I called him, and I said, Pastor Joshua, are you hanging in there? And he said, yeah, yeah, you know, we've, we've opened up our building to the, the uh, FBI, the sheriff, the CIA, they're all here. The deputy that got killed tragically was also the head football coach at the high school. And so we've set up a grief counseling center for the faculty and the students at the high school. Our, our people are making meals for those that are investigating. We've set up cops because they're investigating around the clock. They just need a place to crash. We are just trying to love them any way that we can. Love in action. I was so proud of him. The Sunday after they did all of this for the community, their attendance doubled. The, the, the people of the community felt loved by the church and they responded. It happens to be the home church that Jan and I go to because it's right by our cabin. And, and so when we have a Sunday off, that's where we are. And last week, they're a year into it. The pastor's been there a year. When he arrived, there were about 80 to 100 people. Last week, not a special Sunday, 277 people were attending. All they've done is just loved their neighborhood. They have invested in the schools. They've helped people. They've set up a food pantry and a, a food shelf and uh, close, uh, a close closet. And, and the community is responding. We want to be a part of a family like that. A few months ago, there was a hailstorm in Pine Bluffs, Wyoming, completely wiped out the community, decimated it, just like bullet holes riv- riveted through all of the houses. You can see a picture there. Um, but we have a church there. And they took it upon themselves to just help these people. It wasn't just their houses that got broken, it was them. And even now, they're still helping people emotionally rebuild uh, as they work through all of this stuff. But they were there at the center of it, love in action. We had a team, uh, after Hurricane Matthew swept through southern Haiti, just wiped it out. Three of our churches called me up and said, hey, we're we're joining together and sending a response team down to, to Haiti. And they went down just to help the people put their lives back together again. And it's incredible. And how about you guys? Uh, your benevolence fund that helps the hungry and the hurting, you, the Lighthouse Pregnancy Center that meets right here, the Gunny Pack program, your, your Christmas banquet, the, the lunches that you serve to, to students. In all kinds of ways, you're putting love into action as a church. But how about you individually? You have more than enough opportunities in front of you to take advantage of. And God has a role for you to play. And if you just walk a little sh- uh, slower, God is going to show you a person or a family, or an organization that really needs your neighboring touch. I'm guessing you guys have a lot of folks around you that look great on the outside, but I'll tell you, on the inside, they're as battered and broken as that traveler was. They need hope, and they need healing. And you know what? They don't know Jesus even exists. My son went from working in a church to working at Target, and and he said, Dad, he's got a gift of evangelism. And he said, Dad, you don't get it. The people that I'm interacting with, it's not that they've rejected Jesus. They've just never even heard about him. They don't know he's there. And see, you have an opportunity to be the one that brings good news to your friends. For the people that have lost hope, you can talk about the hope that they can have in Christ. You can change their life just by putting love into action. 
Travel on the needy side. Put love into action. Third trait, third action that Jesus teaches us in verse uh, 35 is that good neighbors live with open hands. They live generously. Essentially, the, the Samaritan tells the innkeeper, take whatever you need. The sky's the limit. God's blessed me so that I can bless other people. And this is the same generosity model that Jesus set for us. Uh, didn't Jesus give up all he had to provide all that we needed? He died. He couldn't give any more to meet the needs that we had. Second Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul reminds us, For you know the grace, the unmerited favor of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, all the riches of heaven, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus had it all, but, but he saw our desperate need for a savior. He, he could have looked the other way. He could have said, Father, that's too much work. I'm going to pass on this assignment, but he didn't. He left everything he had in heaven and he came to earth and he died on a cross for us. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he neighbored us. He neighbored us. He rescued us. And now he asks us to do the same, to live generously what he's blessed us with. To help others. I, I took a mission trip to Jamaica several years ago with the church. It wasn't a rough assignment at first. You know, going to Jamaica in the winter was nice. But the stuff we did there was kind of tough. We went to a poorhouse, and there was a woman that was on the trip named Karen Smith. And we were working in a poorhouse where basically elderly, uh, impoverished people were sent to die. And so we were there to, to cut their toenails that were gnarly and long and, and we cleaned their bed sores and we cut their hair and the whole place smelled like urine and their sheets on their beds were just dirty and it was a mess. And there was this woman there that was probably in her 80s, just rail finished, just, just skin and bones. And, and her clothes had disintegrated so much so that, that they were rags. She was almost naked, just, just this stuff draped over her neck. And Karen Smith was so moved by the plight of this woman that she went into the, the bathroom, put on her swimsuit, and gave the woman the clothes off her back, the clothes that she was wearing that day. The next day we came back to do some more work, and, and there was this woman dressed in Karen's clothes. They were too big because the woman was so small. But when she saw the van pull in, she got a big smile, and she started to dance. She started to clap, and all of her friends started to dance and clap. And we got out of the van, and we were dancing and clapping. And, and, and Karen is there, and she's crying, and this woman. And, and, you know, the joy of generosity. And Karen didn't have a lot to give on that trip, but what she had, she gave away. And she changed a woman's life. She changed a woman's life. What's God blessed you with that you could use to bless others? Is it your time to read with someone, to sit with someone, just to love them? Maybe it's your talent to do finances, to help somebody with their taxes or to fix their car for them when they don't have the money to do it or or to to learn how to cook. It doesn't have to be much. God can work miracles with a, a couple pieces of bread and a few loaves of fish. On Friday, we were getting done with one of our leadership trainings, and I was loading up my, my pilot, and, and we had had food there, and so I was throwing the food in, and, and wouldn't you know it, a homeless guy comes down the sidewalk with his shopping cart. An old gentleman in a parka, and you know he hadn't showered in weeks, and, and here I am with this trunk load of food, and I knew what I was going to be preaching on, and God grabbed my heart. So I grabbed up a whole bunch of of granola bars and breakfast bars, and I had a bag of fruit that we had had, and I brought it over to the guy. I said, hey, you want some food? And he went, what? I said, you want some food for me? And I said, yeah, for you. 
Well, yeah, that'd be, I'd love that. So I dumped all the breakfast bars in his, in his uh, shopping cart. And, and then he looked in the bag with the apples and the oranges and he went, fresh fruit. I don't know the last time I had fresh fruit. Uh, I'll take the oranges, you keep the apples. I don't have any teeth. Do you have a knife? If you had a knife, I said, no, I don't have a knife. But So he took all the oranges, he said, stuck out his hand, he said, thanks, you blessed me. And I didn't say it, but I could have said, you blessed me. Because there's a joy when we live generously. I've taken just simple things to bless another person's life. Time, talent, maybe God's blessed you with treasure. Funds that you can use for a lot of different things, but I hope some of it will be used to further the cause of Christ. Because that's where you're storing away treasures for eternity. You know, we're, we're trying to add 100 churches in, in, in 10 years, and that's going to be a huge endeavor. And, and we're going to need some generous people to help us uh, with that, to help fund those things. I mean, um, uh, we want Pastor Tom and his team to be resourced and strengthened, but we also want to start a whole bunch of new churches. We know that, that Colorado is 80 to, or 85 to 90% unchurched. Two million people in the Denver metro area alone we know don't know Jesus as their Savior. Two million over in Utah, it's 98% unchurched. Huge mission field that we live in. Aren't we fortunate that God has placed us here to do the work of the kingdom? Man, he must trust us a lot that we're here. But, but, but to accomplish this, it's going to take a, a massive dependence on God. It's going to take a boatload of prayer. And it's going to take a, a culture of generosity to sweep through our, our movement of churches to strengthen 100 and, um, or strengthen 100 and, and start 100 more. It's, it's going to require raising 3 to $5 million. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? 3 to $5 million? Yes? Yeah, it, tell me. I'll tell you. It, it's a lot that we have to raise. But in, right in the early stages, God has already provided almost a million dollars in outside support, just for miraculous ways. It's like he said, I see what you're doing, and I like it, so here you go. Let's get you started. I met with a couple in Wyoming, and they said, how much will it cost to start your next Wyoming church? I said, about $120,000 for resources, equipment, for, to get the church really properly resourced. They said, we'll take care of your next one. Out of their own pocket, they just said, we'll take it. We're starting a 110 fund that we're going to use to, to raise this 3 to $5 million. In December, one person said, let me give you 10 grand to get that, that started. I mean, God is just working through his people, and, and the generosity is starting to flow. You know, right now I'm looking for 100 people that will commit $100 a month to what we're doing, kind of the 100 club, and that's great. But let me say this. Giving financially, that's just a start because I honestly think that there are people in this room that will be our next church planters. You'll be starting and planting one of those hundred that we're looking to plant. You're going to be on a team. You'll be a children's person, a worship person. You're going to be a part of a team that helps us start a church in Montrose or Salida or Crested Butte, a new beacon of hope. And that's what God's going to do. He's going to call, put you on that call on your life. And we're going to resource you. And we're training you and we're, we'll support you. And then God is going to work through you to change that part of the Rocky Mountain region. Use what God has entrusted to you to bless others. And as we team together, established churches are going to grow strong. New churches are going to be started. Leaders are going to be encouraged. And God is going to be glorified. You see, blessings come when we live generous lives. Not clutching it to ourselves, but freely believing in a good and a generous God and saying, Lord, I believe that you're going to use what I give away to bless others. 
Jesus said to the attorney, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. Neighbor someone. And together we'll change the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that you neighbored us. That you went to the cross. You gave up all that you had. You walked on the needy side of the street. Because of that, many of us in your, are in your family forever. It's your love that drove you to do that. And now we ask that you will pour your love into our hearts so that we will see the world through your eyes. And we'll reach out and meet the needs that you see as you walk through the streets of Gunnison and the area around us. I mean, just take a minute and think. I I bet as I've been speaking, God has placed a person or a, a need on your hearts. And you've been thinking about how he wants you to be a neighbor and to meet that need. Just right now, just personally say, Lord, give me an opportunity to put love into action this week and to neighbor the the person I really need to neighbor. Lord, we live for you. We don't do it through our own strength. We do it through your spirit that empowers us to be like Jesus every day. And so we invite you to come in. We know that there's nothing more that you want than to fill us with your presence. And so we open all the doors and open all the windows and just say, flow through us. Make a difference for eternity through our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team's going to pray. Uh, play. If you want to pray, there's going to be people up here that will meet with you and pray for you. So if you have a prayer need, we just open this time up to you to come up front.